Well, good morning, everybody. Again, it's so great to see you on this Lord's Day. I'm glad you're here for worship, and I want to say thank you for worshiping the Lord through song, and now let's worship through the Word, shall we? If you haven't done so already, I want to encourage you to take your listening outline from your worship guide, get a pen in hand, and open your Bibles, if you would, to the little New Testament epistle of 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Now, that's going to be over near the end of the Bible, almost to the book of Revelation. I hope you'll turn there to 1 Peter chapter 1, and this morning, as we hear the word, I want to share a message that's entitled, Encouragement, Encouragement for an Uncertain New Year. Now, as we're preparing to hear the word here in the worship center, I want to offer the warmest of welcomes to everybody who's in our contemporary service today. I'm really glad you're here this morning, as well as those of you who are joining us on TV or online, on the live stream, I'm really glad that you're a part of worship today at Ingleside. Now, I don't know how you feel whenever the calendar turns over from December to January and you get ready for a new year. How do you typically feel about that? You know, I can tell you how I feel. I I don't know if I've always been wired this way or not, but for me, it is a a chance to sort of uh, recalibrate, reevaluate, reassess, and then look forward with some planning and hope about what God might want to do in my life in the future. Now, I know it's, it's really just a calendar thing, right? It's just the changing of the seasons. I know there's nothing magical about it, but I think just the pace, the rhythms that go with the holidays give us sometimes some space to look back, to assess, to look around, to take stock, and then to look forward and say, Lord, what do you want to accomplish in my life? What do you want me to do differently? How do you want to redirect me? How do you want to grow me? Sometimes we need a framework or a rubric or a paradigm in order to tease through those kind of questions. Several years ago, I learned a four-point rubric from Stephen Covey of Seven Habits fame, and then I added one to it, and it served me well for years. Let me give it to you real quickly. If it fits your gun, well, I hope you'll shoot it. I hope it'll be uh, beneficial to you. Here's, as we look at a new year, we all have some basic needs and desires don't we? Here they are. There are five of them. Write them in on your outline. Number one is to live, to actually have physical life. And so this helps us focus on our physical well-being. Number two is to love. Life is not much worth living unless it has loving relationships in it. So this helps us focus on the relational and emotional dimensions to our life. Number three is to learn. All of us have a need to grow and to develop uh, mentally, intellectually, to continue to expand our understanding and wisdom and knowledge. So do you begin to see uh, our needs, our desires as the new year begins to live, to love, to learn? A fourth one I think is really important is to labor. It means to have meaningful work to do. You know, some people, I think, view work as a curse, but work existed in the Garden of Eden before the fall occurred. And the truth is, life is more meaningful, more satisfying. It's more what God intends when we can find and discern what the labor is, the work that he intends for us to do. Now, I know that all of these things change a bit across the seasons of life, but I think there's an application 
in every season. So what's the rubric? Uh, well, we need or we desire to live, to love, to learn, to labor. And then number five, write it in. All of us, I think, have this innate desire to leave a legacy, to leave a legacy. And by that, I mean to live in such a way that at the end of our days, when we look back, we can say, well, you know, my life was not wasted. My life counted for something. And in fact, it not only counted for something, but I have passed along something. I, I, I have passed along to those who are coming behind me in the coming generations something that is worthwhile. You know, as I was thinking about this rubric, my mind went back to Proverbs 13, 22. Do you see it? It's on your outline, and I think it's on the screen as well. It says, a good man, do you see this? A good man leaves an inheritance, leaves a legacy, not only to his children, but to his children's children. But the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. And so when I begin a new year this year, I'm looking at each one of these dimensions. Lord, do you want me to live in a different way? Are there some physical health things you want me to focus on? Do you want me to love in a different way? Do you want me to maintain the boundaries, the quality of the relationships and the love in them? Show me that. What do you want me to learn this year, Lord? How's my labor to change? But the one I've really been reflecting on over the last two or three weeks is the fifth one, and that is what kind of legacy? I think perhaps the nearer you get to the end of what you think your life may be, that it's typical to focus on that question. So I just want to acknowledge that maybe everybody in the crowd today who's in the first half, you may not be entertaining this question as significantly as those in the second half, but it's a good thing all along your life to say, what kind of legacy am I going to leave? What kind of inheritance are my children and their children going to receive from me? It's a good clarifying question as we begin a new year. I think one of the reasons perhaps that I have reflected on this question more intently over the last few days is because as some of you know, uh, my wife Beverly's daddy uh, died on Christmas Day. And we said goodbye um, to her daddy, Dallas James Brown, my father-in-law, and my good friend. You know, I don't think any of us plan, do we, to bury a loved one on Christmas Day. We don't plan to do that, do we? And we certainly did not. Uh, Beverly's daddy had lived a long and good life. He was 85 years old. And he was healthy, uh, virtually all of that. And it was only after uh, a fever developed about 10 days before his death and then a hospitalization that lasted only eight days uh, that he completed his earthly journey. And so we have said goodbye to our beloved Poppy in the last few weeks. And so I've reflected on his legacy to us. And you know, as I've done that, it has brought great joy because he left a strong legacy a rich legacy, 
an exemplary legacy. I won't take the time this morning to tell you all about him, but I think it would be just a little inauthentic if I didn't tell you where we've been living a little bit over the last few days. Uh, Beverly's dad left us an, a legacy of integrity. He was a man who consistently across the years did what's right, even when no one was looking. He did it again and again. He was a man of integrity. He was a man who left us a legacy of fidelity, loyalty, faithfulness. That wasn't anywhere better exemplified than in his marriage of 63 years to Beverly's mom, his high school sweetheart, Jackie. And even in recent years, when her health has been in significant decline and he became her primary caregiver, Mr. Brown has shown me and shown us what sacrificial, joyful love looks like as he showed her care because he loved her so dearly. A legacy of integrity and fidelity, industry, what a diligent work ethic, wise planning, care for others, frugality, generosity, the most important thing I would say, though, I think, is he left us an inheritance of clear, unambiguous commitment to and faith in Jesus Christ. And oh, I'm thankful for that. Um, now, just like us all, he was a sinner by nature and by choice, and he had some hard times and some disappointments and dings along the way. But the reason he had the character he did was because he was a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. As a young boy, he had repented and believed and been baptized. And even as an 85-year-old, he was still abiding in the Word every day and growing and learning and letting God's Spirit shape him by the Scripture. I was privileged to read some of what he had written in, uh, about the scripture. I just want to share with you two of them because it highlights his legacy and I think it, 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 it challenges us all today to say what kind of legacy will we leave. One of the scriptures he had written down was Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then this good man, this exemplary man, my father-in-law, my friend, wrote in his journal, this is the affirmation that my salvation is by God's grace, his alone. The affirmation that God hasn't had a plan for my life and the good works he was prepared for me to accomplish. And so I just wanna say that regardless of what your legacy is, none of us goes to heaven because we're good. We go to heaven because of God's great grace. And that's a good word to remember, is it not? The second thing, just two scriptures I would share with you. 
is he um, highlighted Deuteronomy 31.8. Do you know that verse? If you don't, you might want to make a note of the reference. It's a precious verse. Deuteronomy 31.8. It says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Now, that's a good word as we begin an uncertain new year, is it not? It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And this was the comment he wrote about it. He said, this was part of Moses' challenge, Moses' direction to Joshua as he was to lead Israel into the land of promise. And then he wrote, this is one of the most encouraging scriptures for me and Jackie. There have been many times that we did not know how to move forward or act. So we would pray these words for direction, decision, and wisdom. And he wrote, as we think of the past, God has been 100% faithful in leading us and never forsaking us. I just want to say hallelujah. And as we begin a new year, I want to encourage your heart with some of the inheritance we've received, and particularly the inheritance of Scripture, rightly interpreted and rightly applied. It's the Lord who goes before us. He'll be with us. He won't leave us. He won't forsake us. So do not fear and do not be dismayed. Now, as we walk into the new year, of course, things have changed. And we have lots of decisions to make, even as you do, as you face uncertainties in your life. So where will we find the wisdom, the principles, the encouragement we need? We'll find them in the Scripture. So let's look at the first nine verses of 1 Peter 1 today and four principles that emerge. Are you ready? Let's look at the word together. Here's what it says. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Those are all areas in modern-day Turkey. He says, to the elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, circle the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, circle the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, circle Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So what are we seeing here as we begin the new year? I don't know what challenges you are facing. I don't know what uncertainties there are. I don't know what um, um, opportunities are uh, that stand before you. But I know that the place that Peter begins with his first hearers is an important thing for us to affirm, and it has to do with our identity. And so Peter reminds them and us of who we are in Christ. Write it in, number one, on your outline. He teaches them and us that we have been chosen. 
We have been chosen by God even though we are sometimes marginalized in the world. Now, did you see those words that teach us we are both chosen and yet we're not of this world? It's the little phrase, elect exiles. So let's look at each part of it. Peter says, if you're a follower of Christ today, that you are among the elect, it's a good biblical word. It means that God in his sovereign grace before the foundation of the world set his affection on you and chose you and determined to show his covenant love to you. And that love, that covenant love will never let us go. So on the one hand, the Bible teaches us we are chosen. But on the other hand, the Bible teaches us that we are exiles. We're pilgrims. We're strangers in this world. Can I just ask you, do you ever feel like this world is not your home? Anybody ever feel that? Man, I do. I feel like sometimes, well, man, I don't quite fit in the ways of the world. So how do you have the strength to live faithfully in the new year, particularly if you're feeling that uh, marginalization that comes from being a follower of Christ? It's by being reminded that the Father has chosen us. He's elected us. He has set his affection on us. And he will never, ever let us go. What good news that is. The second thing comes out of the verses 3, 4, and 5. Look at it. After reminding us of who we are, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy. So the thing that prompts God's act in our life is not our goodness, it's his mercy. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So as we begin a new year, all kind of uncertainty and challenge in it, God has given us in Christ three things. Write them in. They, they complement. They're in apposition to one another. God has given us hope that reaches beyond the grave. It's not just wishful thinking. It's rooted in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Number two, he's given us an inheritance that we will never lose. I love the words that describe it. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. And he has given us salvation. A salvation that is secure and will be revealed in the last time. So now watch this. You and I are living today. We're facing whatever challenge or uncertainty there may be. 
But Peter says the way you live now in the present is by counting to be so the hope, the inheritance, and the salvation that is to come. That's what gives us strength for today. Here's the third principle. Look at it. Verse 6. He says, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, beloved, there's a lot in that little paragraph, but I want to highlight the big truth, if I may. Follow the progression. Peter is saying, now, I know you're facing an uncertain future, but remember, you have been chosen by God. His affection will never leave you. He's given you a living hope, an inheritance you can't lose, salvation that is secure. And then here it is, number three, write it in. Peter is saying to those believers and us, God has a purpose. God has a purpose for all of our trials. God has a purpose in all of our trials. Now let's dig into that a little bit. Look in verse six. Peter says, in this you rejoice. What does the in this refer to? The hope, the inheritance, the salvation. Though, so he is, he is um, contrasting the joy we feel about what is to come. He says, though now for a little while, if necessary, it's part of God's plan, you have been grieved by trials, by various trials. I want you to stop right there and think about how you face trials. Uh, the book of James says we could count it all joy when we fall into various trials, and we should because God is at work. He has a purpose. But Peter is honest to say that we have been grieved by trials. You know, the truth is, emotionally healthy people grieve in a healthy and biblical way, and it's part of what it means when we love and then there's loss. When we love and there's loss, then there's grief. And Peter says, in this world, we're going to be experiencing some grief in our various trials, but that grief is tempered by the hope the inheritance, the salvation. And so right alongside our grief is joy and confidence and certainty and hope. You know, sometimes we want our emotional frame to be characterized only by one thing. But the Bible says it's usually not that way. That right alongside our sorrow lives our joy Right alongside our grief lives our hope. 
right alongside our sadness, lives our full confidence of what is to come. And God is at work in us. He has a purpose. And what is that purpose? Look at verse 7. It tells us one of them. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what God often uses trials to do? He uses them to purify us, to uh, strengthen us, to develop us, to mature us, to pull away the things that pollute us so that our faith and trust in him is pure and strong and unalloyed as we trust him and follow him. You know, uh, some of you have walked through deep water recently. Every week in our church family, there are families who walk through a path similar to what mine has walked over the last two or three weeks. Um, we experience the loss of a loved one or some other grief or some other trial. In fact, just yesterday at Ingleside, we had the funeral of one of our beloved worship leaders that you've seen on this platform in our blended room for many, many years, Daniel Robbins, who played the guitar right back there week after week, 30 years, passed away unexpectedly this week and was buried on his 64th birthday. And so I recognize that it's all of us living in this fallen, broken world that will experience uncertainty and pain and challenge and trial and loss. But now listen, church family, right alongside that healthy grief, we do not grieve like those who have no hope. Our hope is in Christ. To be absent from the body is to be home with the Lord. And our salvation is secure. Our inheritance will never lose. And our hope is living today. Don't you see? Oh, man. It's such an important word for us. One more thing. Will you stick with me a little longer, even if I don't have much voice? And that is, we can trust, listen, listen now, this is what this passage is teaching us. We can trust that God is sovereign, God is good, God is wise, and God's grace is sufficient. Are you with me on that? God is sovereign. God is good, God is wise, and God's grace is sufficient. So that means that even when I don't understand, by grace through faith, I'm going to trust him because his plans are good. A.M. Overton captured this thought in a beautiful little poem 
He says, my father's way may twist and turn, my heart may throb and ache, but in my soul I'm glad I know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray, my hopes may fade away, but still I'll trust my Lord to lead, for he doth know the way. Though night be dark, and it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him. He maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see. My eyesight's far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by, the mist will lift and plain it all he'll make through all the way. Though dark to me, he made not one mistake. We trust the Lord. He's sovereign, he's good, he's wise, and his grace is sufficient. So how do we wrap up today? Look at verses 8 and 9. So Peter says, even as you face the uncertainty of a new year, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I love this. Peter says, now listen, there's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some trial. There's going to be some uncertainty. Um, there's going to be some grief. But I don't want those of you who follow Jesus to go through this world with a sour, dour, downcast disposition. Instead... God expects us to love Jesus, to trust Jesus, and to find great joy in Jesus, even as we face an uncertain new year. Oh, man, that's my commitment. It's that of my sweet wife, Beverly, our family, and I hope it will be yours as we walk into this uncertain new year to make our devotion to Jesus, our love for him, greater than it ever has been before. And we know the Lord will give us joy in that journey for our good and for his glory. Can you say amen to that? Let's pray together, then we'll sing our concluding song. Father, thanks so much for teaching us today. Thanks so much for the encouragement of your word. I pray for those like our family, the Robbins family, many others who are grieving this Christmas and New Year. But I pray right alongside our grief that you would fill us with hope and encouragement and joy. And Lord, I pray that as the new year begins, our commitment to following you would be stronger than ever before. We love you and we wanna ask you to do your renewing work in us again. Lord, revive us, renew us, strengthen us, and encourage us for our own good and for your great glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.